0: Hi, my name is Skipper Chung Warson, and I'm a design director in San Francisco. Thanks for listening to How This Works. This is a show where I invite people on to talk about a topic that they know an awful lot about. Today, I have Kate Scalisi with me, and we're going to talk about sexual pleasure, sexual health, and consent culture. Thanks for making time and space to be here, Kate.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm super excited for this conversation.
0: So, Kate, let's start with you, and let's start with pronouns. My pronouns are he and him. How would you like to be referred?
1: I use she, her pronouns.
0: Great. So Kate, who are you? (laughs) Tell us a few things, please.
1: I love I love how open this question is, um, <laughs> and there's there's just so many beautiful ways to answer it. Right? I can answer yeah. it the professional way, uh, which yeah. is to say that I am a founder, I'm a certified sex educator, and I'm an advocate for the revolutionary power of pleasure. Yeah, and that's how I spend a lot of my time. Okay, and then I can answer it the more personal way and say that I am a cisgender queer white woman living on you know on. Lenape territory in modern day New York City. Mm. I am a partner and a daughter. I'm a big reader. I'm a dancer. And I love that because we all contain so many multitudes and they all show up in everything that we do, even if we try to pretend like they don't.
0: 100% plus one. All of those details (laughs) just sort of flow up into us, right? They Mm -hmm. boil up whether we want them to or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kate, what's something that many people might not guess about you? You gave us a lot of detail in your who are you, but um, something you feel comfortable sharing, of course.
1: Yeah, Um, I think the the disability piece and the chronically ill piece often surprises people because Mm. most of the time, but not all of the time, uh, my illnesses and disabilities are completely invisible and hmm. that carries with it a whole different set of struggles. <laughs> and so like I was saying living in New York for example right like yeah. if there are days where my pain is high taking the subway can be really bad but I look hmm. young I look able bodied so it's like how do you, yeah. how do you ask for a seat so that is definitely something that surprises yeah. people also because I have really big energy and mm. so a lot. I think a lot of people expect, I don't know, I, I don't understand all of the ways in which right ableism kind of permeates our culture. But yeah. one of the ways is I think they expect me to be like a little lower energy or a little less, I don't know, joyful <laughs> all the time. And that's just yeah. my personality. Yeah. So it always, it's definitely surprises people the ways in which the many ways in which I kind of have to accommodate my days in my life around my body and my disabilities.
0: Yeah. That's such a nice point to put on it. I I think, you know, in my field, one of the notions that we talk about is this idea of accessible design Mm -hmm. and how do we make sure that the physical structures or the digital structures that we're creating are accessible by other people. Mm -hmm. And I think when you begin talking about it, some people have an immediate response to, well, what do you mean by that? And Mm
2: -hmm. once you
0: Open up your eyes to how the world might look to someone else. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wear glasses. Sometimes I wear contact lenses. And that's a kind of constraint that I deal with, right? Mm-hmm. But someone who's in a wheelchair or someone who has another kind of challenge is going to look at the world very differently. Mm-hmm. And I think the more open minded we can be, the more inclusive and the more mm-hmm. accessible we can make yeah. these places whether it's as simple as having a conversation or Mm -hmm. it's about, like you said, getting on the subway to get from point A to point B.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It shows up a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So Kate, what are we talking about today? You know, I gave some of this away in our intro, but I'd love to hear you say it. What are the things that we're going to talk about that you know very well?
1: Yeah. I would say the overarching piece, right? The, The thing that ties all of the other topics together is this piece around pleasure and pleasure being this really revolutionary power Mm -hmm. and healing force and the ways in which that lives in our world and contributes to sexual health, obviously to sexual pleasure. And then also the ways in which Mm -hmm. it shows up in consent culture and Mm. pleasure gets really denigrated, right? It's, goes as far back as the bible we look at eve and the apple and so like these messages run so so deep in our world and so it's either this like fluffy little thing Mm -hmm. that gets pushed to the side or it's this thing that's bad Mm. and we need to stay away from it and we need to live this aesthetic life and so on and so forth and Mm. in reality not only does it drive so many of our decisions right whether we're running towards pleasure or away from pain there's an involvement of pleasure in there Mm -hmm. But it also really has this incredible healing power and Mm -hmm. something I've returned to in the last year again and again and again and in previous past really challenging experiences in my life is leaning into those moments of pleasure Mm -hmm. as a way to ground, as a way to nourish, as a way to get Mm -hmm. through. And so over the last year, and you know, we're, we're recording mm-hmm. this on essentially the anniversary of at least New York City starting to shut down and calling it, it's been how can we take those sips and gulps of pleasure Yeah, because we, we really need them to get through. Yeah. And they just, they add that extra meaning yeah. on life. And yeah. so that's what we're talking about and the different ways it shows up interpersonally, sexually, and in culture.
0: That's a great summation. Thank you. So Kate, let's let's rewind. You didn't start out in this field, right? Um, I did a little bit of research before we yeah, were recording. Really. <laughs> how, how did you get started?
1: Yeah. I always like to preface by saying I was always that friend, right? And, and sex educators what okay. I found is we either fall into one or two categories. We were either that friend okay. that all of our friends came to, and that usually meant we had a parent who was the cool parent. And so I had the cool mom. Mm,
2: And
1: or we were completely shy and came from like really conservative background and like it never talked about. And I have yet to find someone who doesn't fall into one of those two extremes. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And my colleagues often say the same. So (laughs) I always fell into the, like that friend extreme. And the original plan was to go to medical school and become an OB guy. so I'm not totally disconnected. I was like, we're still, we're going to be focused down there. Like we're going to be focused (laughs) on it. And so, (laughs) um, and so then when I was in college, this opportunity to sell sex toys through one of those, you know, multi-level marketing companies kind of just fell into my lap. And my partner was studying abroad and working abroad. Okay. And I was like, I need money. And you promised me money. So like, Sure. And then I kind of just kept saying yes. Yeah, I know. It was like, I love telling that. It's like, what was I thinking? I was at a Catholic (laughs) college. I had most of the resident assistants and like half of the res life, like actual staff were in and were like willing to look the other way that I was doing this because they actually, I had so much support on like the DL because they couldn't, it was Catholic college. We couldn't publicly support it uh, right. so it's just i kind of just said yes and i'm like yeah sure i'll sell sex toys why not and then people okay. were like oh can you do this and i was like yeah <laughs> sure i can do this and i just i threw myself into learning <laughs> i threw myself into all of this so fast forward uh i was doing some work on with cancer patients doing some health psychology research and we did ask about sex and okay. it was really revolutionary so this was 2010 2011 I had doctors yell at me for mm. asking this question. I was like, I'm just the research assistant. You can talk um, to my PI who's also the head of emergency medicine. And of course they never did. Right. right. Um, and what right. I noticed was that I had that really strong, really intense response from the healthcare providers. And then the patients, okay. even the, the one question, it was really vague too. It was like, As a result of cancer treatments, are you experiencing any sexual side effects? Like, it was super vague.
2: Mm. I
1: had these patients who would just pour their heart out to me.
2: Mm. And
1: it was the same phenomena that had happened at every single sex toy party I did, where close friends, strangers, didn't matter, Mm. would be like, here's... And I I remember my first party being like, whoa. Just like, (laughs) we've lived together for three years and I didn't know this, right? Like, just... really taken aback. And so I'm working in a hospital, I'm looking around going, is this really the life I want as a doctor? I'm getting all of this really like affirmation and messaging that like, Hey, you're really good at this. You help people feel really comfortable talking about a topic that we don't talk about. Yeah, You're already kind of doing it. So what would it look like to expand that? So got into medical school, decided not to go, yeah. decided to pursue public health instead, um, which had it, it, it always been part of the plan, but decided to really just go all in and focus on sex education sure. and lots, many more bumps in there around, you know, that's, you must work with adolescents and, and youth. What do you mean? Why do you want to talk about pleasure? Mm. Like, why does that matter? And I'm like, because teenagers don't care that they should use condoms to prevent disease. They care about how it's going to feel. yeah. And that's a pleasure question.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's the same thing, right? So pleasure and health can go hand in hand. And now here we are, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where um, doing those sex toy parties, right, has yeah. transformed into having this, this platform and this ecosystem where really whatever folks are looking for on their journey, if they do just need a sex toy, we got that. If they need some higher level support through through coaching yeah. or couples counseling, I offer that as well. And so through Passion by Kate, it's kind of really bringing together all of these different pieces and supporting people on their journeys and finding freedom and pleasure, whatever that journey looks like for them and wherever they are on that journey.
0: That's so great. So I want to pull something out. We've now said the word sex a number of times during this conversation. And there might be some people who are tuning into this because that's Absolutely. what they saw on the show description. And and, I, and the, the examples that you just gave of whether we're talking about a cancer patient or we're talking about someone who's attending a sex toy party, to your point, sometimes it's just one question that gets them to open up and reveal a whole underlayer of just underneath the surface, what it is that they're thinking about, what it is that they're considering, what it is that they have questions about. But I do know that there are many people in the world who just don't want to access this layer for themselves. Mm -hmm. They don't want to talk about it. They don't talk about it with their partner. They don't talk about it with just an acquaintance that they might be um, sexually involved with. Um, Never mind close Mm -hmm. friends and family. So how do you recommend as a professional who's now been working in this field for many years, how do you recommend Mm -hmm. starting that conversation? How can you broach this topic?
1: First of all, thank you for bringing that up because the questions that people always ask are, you know, how, how do I have stronger orgasms? How do I do this? And how do I do that? And one of my first questions that I always ask back to them is, have you talked about this with, with the person you're having sex with? Mm -hmm. And while this is not universally true for the Passion by Kate audience, I'm the person, right? The number, I would be rich if I had a dollar for every person over the last 11 and a half oh, years who has said to me, you're the only person I've ever told this to. Aww. And it's not its not even necessarily like big stuff, life-changing stuff. Am I even always, yeah. it, not always, I should say, talking about like trauma or like, you know, heavy duty BDSM stuff. Some of it is just like, really, really common struggles to orgasm or desires like spanking or something like that. So number one is to say, I want to just fricking normalize it. And sometimes that's all we need is to know that we are normal and we are not alone. Yeah. And so basically what I always say is that when it comes to sex, there's more, there's more and less common. There's really not normal.
2: Yeah.
1: It's just, you know, again, to use kinks as an example, right? Like spanking is a really common one. something that most people do playing with fire Mm -hmm. or sharp objects. Not as common. They're both normal. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: One is just a little more accessible. (laughs) So number one, know that you're not alone. Number two, I'm really glad you brought this up because again, I think we often want to find these answers and solutions in a quick fix form, which makes a lot of sense, at least Mm -hmm. living in America. And like, we really love our quick fixes and, Mm-hmm. Consumerism, capitalism, diet culture, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, attention span. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oftentimes, what we need to actually do is have a conversation with ourselves and many conversations, mm-hmm. and have a conversation, many, with the people we're having sex with. Mm-hmm. And before I dive into that, like, I'm, a, I'm just always going to add layers is what I do. So that's fine. <laughs> before I dive into like, how can you even start the conversation? Yeah. It starts with you because there is so much shame around sex. Yeah. And if we right in the therapy world, there's that whole name it to tame it mm. adage. And it's really true. Mm. It's not often the only thing that's needed, but there's going to be shame. It's the whole reason why this question is even a question sure right if there wasn't yeah. sexual shame yeah. we wouldn't be talking about well how do you start the conversation it <laughs> would be right. like talking about brunch or
2: right.
1: talking about the books on your shelf line you, right, right? Yeah. so number one is kind of are you familiar with how shame shows up in your body in your brain in your life mm. because it's gonna show up no matter what
2: mm-hmm
1: and knowing that it's going to show up can then inform not just what you say, but like how you have the conversation mm. because you want to stack the cards in your favor to make it as easy for yourself and painless for yourself and whoever you're talking about it with, sure. because they're also going to have shame.
2: Yeah,
1: And even those of us who are in the field have shame. Mm. We just happen to have the training and tools to know how to navigate that. Hmm. So getting to know how shame shows up in your life is invaluable. And not just for this. Honestly, I think it's one of the best things any of us can spend time on. Yeah. And then in terms of how to get the conversation started, I often advise blame something or someone else. Hmm. And then don't ask a yes, no question. (laughs) ask an open-ended question. Um, and mm. actually we didn't talk about links, but I actually have a few resources that I'm happy to share with the audience okay. that we can link with this episode
0: mm-hmm. yep.
1: that dive into this more. Cause we're in the process of doing a lot around it right now. So great. what I mean by those two rules, right? Number one is blame this conversation. Sure. Even if we don't talk about it, you have my permission. I'm giving you all of you listening mm. and you, if you need it, <laughs> um, to say, sure. Thank you. I happen to be listening to this podcast or I happen to be talking to this like <laughs> crazy sex educator human and, <laughs> and they mentioned insert topic here, right? Again. Spoiler, even if we didn't mention it, just say, we pretend we did. We talked about everything, right? Right, right. And then say, the reason (laughs) I advise that is because, right, it takes, it kind of gives you a little bit of an out, right? It's like, oh, well, I just heard about this thing, right? Like so-and-so was talking about this thing, heard about it, read about it. Someone shared an article or an Instagram or whatever. And then- (laughs) So that's why you do that. And then number two is avoiding yeah. asking, like, would you be open to talking about that? Because if the partner just sure. says yes, or if they just say right. no, the conversation goes nowhere. And it's right. like anything worse than someone's just like, yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like just waiting. It's so right. awkward. So, for them to sit in that
0: tension and wait for you to say more <laughs> when it's already taken you a lot to say the thing you've yeah. already said.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. And the last okay.
1: pro tip that yeah. I'll, I'll throw out, that's kind of the basic structure yeah. I often encourage, is yeah. driving, hiking. Anytime you're side by side. I know people can't see me. Uh, I'm making all of these hand motions because it's how I talk. Sure, um, sure. Anytime you can be side by side with your partner for these heavier conversations and side note, this also goes for money. This goes for mental health stuff. This goes for any conversation that feels heavy or scary or overwhelming. Being side by side can help and having something else. Like if you're driving or you're hiking, it's like, Oh, look at the trees. Hey, by the way, can we talk about butt stuff? Right. Right? (laughs) (laughs) It just helps to diffuse it and like, Oh shoot. There's a snake on the path. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that is my like simple technique um, for getting started. And there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but that's, that's what I like to offer.
0: Yeah. So blame something open-ended, not yes or no, and then some sort of paradigm where you might be sitting side by side or in a Mm -hmm. way where you're both sort of facing the same direction, something like. Like you said, driving, hiking, maybe even like watching TV or something like that. Playing
1: video games. Yes. Anything, Playing video yes. Games.
0: Okay. Those are those are excellent tips and I think at least a way to get started and maybe you can start in the kiddie pool depth and ask about something, you know, mm-hmm. really small and and yeah. then work up to maybe the the other burning parts that you're mm-hmm. wondering about.
1: Yeah. And practice that adage about practice making perfect exists for a reason within health education. We call it building Mm self-efficacy. So if you're trying to build a habit, it's like if you want to floss, you start by flossing one tooth at a time. Yeah. So if you have 10 things you want to talk about, start with the one that makes your palms a little sweaty, but doesn't Mm. make you want to either run and hide. Right. Have that flea response or like. Lash out and fight, <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> or just
1: shut down. Right, like choose the one that it's like that discomfort zone, but not that snapback okay. zone where you just go straight into the depths of your stress response, and just like your thinking brain is completely shut off. Okay, I feel like this is the point where I should also say that my background is in neuroscience and public health, so I talk about the brain <laughs> a lot. But you wanting okay. to be there's there's a very sweet spot there. We always talk about you know go outside your yeah. comfort zone it is possible to go too far outside. And if you go too far outside, Mm. you move outside what's called your window of capacity or tolerance. And then you are in one of these like super stress moments. And that happens a lot really easily Mm. when it comes to sex conversations. It happens a lot when we're having it, particularly for folks carrying marginalized identities for whom, you know, it might not be safe to be in our bodies in some or many ways. And so anytime... You're thinking about doing something that feels a little scary. That sweet spot mm-hmm. is, is really powerful. And it takes some practice to figure out exactly where it is for you.
0: One of the things you just mentioned was the notion of shame as it relates to sexual pleasure. Mm. So how do you begin to work, you know, whether it's in a workshop or a one-on-one session or these days in a zoom meeting, mm. how do you begin to work through that with someone else?
1: Yeah. I like to think of myself as really being the space holder and really supporting people in their own journey slash path, right? And so I'm creating the space for them to explore how shame shows up in their, you know, body, brain, brain, body, and what it looks like then in their their thoughts and their emotions and their actions. And so
2: Hmm.
1: my question is always... Okay. So you feel shame. What, what comes before that? Like slow it down, which is something my, my therapist always says to me too. And so I I just pass that along because I think it's really powerful. So often, right. Our brains, these big, beautiful organs are processing a lot, especially these days. And they're going to take shortcuts. They're wired literally to take shortcuts. Hmm. So if we are always used to responding in X way with a shame response or a shame spiral. Right. It can sometimes be hard to untangle. Okay. Like what is that story there? Mm. Do I even believe that? Is that even true? Depending on what it is. Right. Sure. And if it's not true or if I don't believe it anymore,
0: Mm.
1: what do I want to believe instead? Mm. And what are the steps I can take with my thoughts to get there? You know, a lot of pop psychology, pop neuroscience, pop sex stuff, you know, sex ed, etc. It's often around like these really big jumps. Right. So it's like if you have someone, for example, I work with a lot of folks um, in my one on one practice who are coming out of various purity culture, conservative religious backgrounds, not totally sure how that happened, but deeply honored to support them in that work. And like, you don't just go sure. from thinking that sex is this dirty, shameful, awful, ruining thing to being like, I love sex. It's the greatest thing ever. Woohoo! Like, that's just yeah. not how most people work, right? There are people out there who, who can do sure. that. So if that's you, I bow. You you don't need me, <laughs> right? Sure. You, don't, you don't need yeah. that necessarily that extra support. But most of us need to take that like little stepwise approach and start to say, okay, well, A, it makes a lot of sense that I experienced shame around sex because here are the messages yeah. I got from family, friends, society, the different communities I'm a part of, religion, school, right? Like, what were those? Yeah. So, of course, it makes sense. Yeah. Again, normalize it for yourself. And then it's starting to see, like, okay. how does, what are those thought patterns and stories and kind of, I think of them as like little pathways in your brain. Mm-hmm. And that's literally what they are (laughs) that (laughs) then lead to that feeling of shame. Yeah. And when you start to slow it down, a few things can happen, right? You can begin to notice it sooner. And I'll be honest. This is not always a fun process. Yeah. I'm doing a real good job selling pleasure here, aren't I? <laughs> um, right. It doesn't always feel good to be like, oh, crap. I'm noticing shame at an earlier level. Yeah. But what happens is in the long run, that means you can interrupt that shame response mm. sooner mm. before the spiral. You could be like, oh, hey, shame. I see you here. I know that you're a load of bullshit you are lies that have been told to me by X, Y, and Z. I'm an Aries. So I get feisty. Not everyone's approaches this way. Right. Like some people are like, need to like sit with it and hold its hand or cry. And like, sure. Right. I'm not here to tell you exactly how to have that response. I'm just making space of for it.
2: Right. So
1: start to notice it and interrupt it. Yeah. And that takes practice. That takes being reminded that you're not alone that takes being reminded of what your goals are. So when I'm working people with people in a one-on-one setting, we are doing some goal setting. It's not very yeah. smart goals, I'll be honest, because you can't, when it comes to feelings and emotions and shame and pleasure, yeah. like we're not putting those in boxes. We're not right. making them tied right. down. <laughs> not making super them measurable in that way. Bound, right? yeah. We're making them, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We're making them yeah. human bound. And
0: yeah.
1: how can we start to unravel that? But pretending yeah. that the shame isn't there, pretend, you know, wanting it to not be there, those alone don't make it just go away. They just mean that's kind of running the show almost without your consent. And so you can start to say, like, mm, you know, I don't actually believe that. And often that's the exact thing that we need for pleasure to come in. It's not mm. often like trying new stuff, it's often dealing with the shame mm. and healing the shame, the trauma, the stories. That makes pleasure accessible yeah. to people, which is not a particularly clickbaity headline. It's You're not, not gonna see that on the cover of Cosmo. No. But that's the long-term <laughs> work that then enables you to continue experiencing pleasure no matter what life throws your way. Yeah. This skill set is what has allowed me to stay connected to my pleasure, to my relationship through. Oh my god! Last year was a pandemic, and I had two injuries and three new health diagnoses. Oh
2: no, I'm sorry. In the
1: middle of a pandemic, like you know, it's thank you. It's I'm like, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) I mean, it sucked, right? It royally sucked. Or several years ago, when I got my first two autoimmune diagnoses, right? I was like, oh yeah, you know, this really sucks, and like, here's all this tools. So it's not about let's fix you know your orgasm problem. It's like let's heal the deeper shit, right? And then. The orgasms won't even, you're not even going to worry about them anymore because you're going to be experiencing more pleasure and less shame throughout your whole freaking life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a. And in the bedroom. I mean, that's a good headline. It's a longer headline, right? It's a longer story. It's a long read for sure. Yeah. But I think that's a fantastic headline.
1: I'll have to listen back through and write it down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So we're not just talking about pleasure today. We're also talking about this notion of sexual health. And I love that Mm -hmm. we've already sort of circled around where we are in this moment of time in that most places in the United States and, you know, some places in the world have been experiencing the novel coronavirus pandemic for now over a year. It's been weird the last year, right? So uh, what does it mean in that context, understanding that there's a lot more in people's lives, but what does it mean to be Mm -hmm. sexually healthy, we're not just talking about like stds mm-hmm. or unplanned pregnancies mm-hmm. we're we're talking about so much more how can we identify mm-hmm. what sexual health is and then how can we improve it
1: i'm really grateful that you asked that question because for many of us sex educators we were watching the pandemic happen and being like mm-hmm. this is familiar right and i am mm. i'm only 32 so i'm a little bit young especially in terms of like being actively engaged with the AIDS pandemic, right? With mm-hmm. HIV and AIDS coming, coming out, if you will. But that certainly shaped the field. Mm-hmm. And my colleagues and mentors who are a little older than me were actively teaching during it, right? And so sure. there were so many parallels, even around masks and condoms and shame-based communication um, versus, like mm. you know, um, it just left my brain. Harm reduction. <laughs> there you go. Right. And so, okay. Number one, there are a lot of parallels. And number yeah. two, I love this question because we really have distilled sexual health down to, you know, STIs and avoiding STIs and unplanned pregnancies. That's like the larger thing. And, you know, you can trace that through government funding. You can trace that through the pushing of abstinence only sex education. Mm -hmm. Even when I landed in grad school back in 2013, you know, teachers would talk about, professors would talk about how their work had to change as a result of Congress flipping.
2: Mm. Mm. Because
1: the access to NIH grants, to to research money, as well as to grants for educational programs and curricula changed so drastically. Sure. So I think it's really important yeah. to name that the conversations that typically get had around sexual health are very impacted by those bigger systemic factors. Okay. And they're important to talk about, of course. Yeah. And they're yeah. not all there is, as you pointed out. So right. for me, right, the way that I talk and teach about sexual health, particularly I'm, I'm passionate by Kate, is through, yes, obviously there's the physical piece, right? There's the body-based piece.
0: Sure.
1: But we're not shaming people who have STIs because they can have really healthy and pleasure-filled sex lives. And they deserve that if that's yeah. something they want, just like everyone does. Yeah. We're talking about kind of everything i look at sex as connecting to every other part of our life and vice versa so we're talking about communication Mm. you know are you able Mm -hmm. to talk to the people you're having sex with about the sex you're having whether it's good or not Mm -hmm. as good or otherwise we're talking about consent sure we are talking about body image and not body Mm -hmm. image in the like hashtag bopo way but like the Deeper ways in which society tells us, yeah, but your body is valuable or not because individual work, right? Just saying like, I love my body doesn't actually change how the world interacts with it. That's right. And so communication, body image, we're talking about mental health and how that shows up in relationships. Yeah. And sex. So it's really a little bit of everything. And yeah. we, we can't not talk about religion. So sexually healthy <laughs> to me is kind of, again, looking at those messages, yeah. choosing for yourself, what what's your yes mm. and what's your no.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Forgetting the shoulds. Yeah. I usually say another F word there. <laughs> you, but I don't know if I'm curse. allowed to swear. You can curse. You can curse. saying, fuck the shoulds, (laughs) right? And worrying about your desires and your happiness, not at the expense or in a selfish way, but in not, but I'm saying don't compare, right? Right. The number one thing that people say after, I guess, number two, after, you know, I haven't told anyone this is, you know, we're not having enough sex. But when I Hmm. ask them to quantify that, that mm. number can range from like we haven't had sex in years mm. to we're having it three times a week mm. enough according to whose standards that's right, so are you happy with your sex life? yeah to me is a he- is also a health question,
0: yeah,
1: and that gets back to pleasure as health
0: plus one, one hundred percent. I just wanted to add in one more sort of personal sidebar, which is. One thing that my wife and I, we have this notion in our relationship that all feelings are valid. Full stop.
1: Yes. Yes. It doesn't
0: matter if you should be, if you should be feeling that, if you feel like this is appropriate, a feeling is a feeling. And that's one of the things that I feel very strongly about is that I will never argue with someone's feeling. Mm. Now, how they manifest that feeling and maybe some of the actions that they do, that's a whole different ball of wax. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. But I, yeah. I think you have to give your feeling space, think about what it is or don't think about it, throw it away. You know, that, that's <laughs> your choice. But that's mm-hmm. not something I'm ever going to argue with because you are entitled to that feeling.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, all feelings, all feelings are valid. And to get to the action piece, feelings aren't always facts. That's right. Right. And with that action piece, that's where we have things like trauma, shame, oppression come in and the narrative gets twisted around itself. And it takes when I talk about the revolutionary power of pleasure, I mean it because it takes a strong ass human to say, fuck the shits when every message around them is... Should, 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 should. You should be having sex two times a week because yeah. happy couples have sex two times a week. Okay, what kind of happy t- couples? What kind of sex? What What are we even talking sure. about? Right, and so it takes, yeah. you know, I am so honored to do this work and to work with the people I work with because they are some of the, like, most badass, courageous humans I know. Yeah.
0: So let's move to one of the other subject areas that we previewed, and that's mm-hmm. around consent. Mm-hmm. One of the things, and I'm speaking to you from where I am. You know, I'm a cisnormative male, and in my world, verbal no means no, and yes means yes. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. how can we be sure? How can we feel definite about what those things mean?
1: Yeah, I I love thinking about consent from a larger picture, mm-hmm. and that's often how I teach about it. Mm. And I think about how, how are we using our yeses and nos okay. and then how are we responding to each other's yeses and nos, not just during sex, mm. because at the end of the day, we don't just need consent during sex. Right. So this oft quoted business advice to, what is it? Oh, how does it go? Oh, right. Act first. Apologize. Act
0: first. Apologize later. First, apologize later. Yeah. Thank
1: you. I was like, it's not ask first, act That's first, right. apologize yeah. later. If you look at that within a sex context, oh, Ugh! like I
2: just,
1: but that is a thing that we teach people. How do we turn that off when we just, what I always say, I'm going to get heated here is just when you walk through your bedroom doors, if we're using the bedroom as a proverbial place to have sex, right? Like the rest of the world in your life, don't just disappear. And I promise when I invent the device that does that, I will be rich. (laughs) (laughs) Your stressors disappear. But the fact is, when we have that as kind of the dominant culture, and that's what's rewarded, particularly for men, right? And that's not saying that men are right. only men are perpetrators because they're not. Right. How do you just turn that off? right? The, I, I want to yeah. be having those conversations around like how do we look at consent in other places too? Because when you practice yeah. in places where there's less vulnerability and shame, and this goes for pleasure or consent mm-hmm. or really anything, Right. So if you can practice Mm -hmm. saying, no, I don't want pizza for takeout and really meaning that. No, it's a lot easier to Mm -hmm. say, like, no, I'm really not in the mood and genuinely mean that. And if you can practice receiving someone's Mm -hmm. no, I don't want pizza for dinner without being like, but Mm -hmm. I want pizza. But but come on, let's have pizza. Right. It's a lot easier to receive (laughs) that. No. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently I want pizza today. Um, Yeah. I think that the conversation around consent, particularly for adults, needs to be expanded. And I have so much respect for all of my colleagues and all of the work that has been done and the leaps and bounds that the conversation has taken. Um, So I want to be really clear that I'm Mm -hmm. not dismissing any of that. And... Mm The other thing is it also needs to be ongoing, right? Like just saying yes once and just checking in once, right? right. It goes both ways, right? I think right. we so often are like, well, did yeah. they say yes? And so the onus gets put on the other person. Right. Did they ask? Did they check yeah. in? And
0: right.
1: what often comes up after this is like, yeah, but that's so awkward or that ruins the mood. So make it hot. Right, Asking if something feels good is hot, it doesn't have to be, right? Your check-in doesn't have to be like, oh my God, is this okay? Are you okay? It doesn't have to be that way. Right. It can be, and that's fine. Right, right. But like, it can also be like, right. hey, does that feel good? And if the answer is yeah, no, or it's just okay, or, you know, I was really feeling it and now I'm not anymore. Right. Then you can move on. Right. And you can also ask clarifying questions. Right. And they can also be hot. And I, yeah. I really love actually for this really love romance novels because more and more are including Mm. a lot of what technically would be verbal consent and also technically would be dirty talk. Mm. Right. So I just read one with a super subby Duke and it was like some of the best Mm -hmm. verbal consent, quote unquote verbal consent I have ever read. Wow. And so the more that that permeates, right, these places, these alternative places that where we end up getting our sex education and conversations around consent, right. the easier it is to like see ourselves using them, right? And the more we could see how it really is an ongoing, it's just like the talk, right? Like you don't just have one talk with your kids. Right. I mean, a lot of people do, but that's not advised. Right. It's ongoing <laughs> right. conversations. And we're back to communication, yeah. <laughs> right? Like we have circled right back to the yeah. beginning of communication so it's engaging in that in a way that feels as comfortable to you and it may also mean right like establishing a scene Mm -hmm. which is often what happens in bdsm with clear limits and boundaries Mm
2: -hmm.
1: having some right it can also mean having a safe word Mm -hmm. there's so many different ways this could look depending on who is having the sex and what types of sex they're having and what they're doing and individual boundaries. Yeah. But yeah, definitely that, that ongoing piece from both sides is really important or all sides, I should yeah. say is really important.
0: All sides. Yeah. 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 I, I love that you've elevated consent to a much higher level. So it isn't just consent for one action or consent for this thing that's happening at hand, but it's consent in general. And it's how you receive it okay. and how you give it because it needs mm-hmm. to be part of, it's almost a conversational, like we have conversations. We don't really stop with the persons that we have conversations with. It just changes, right? The time frame changes or the topics yeah. change. The point that you brought up about, it doesn't have to be a record needle skidding across and everything stopping moment. It can be in the vein of what's happening, you know, asking the question, but it doesn't have to be so guarded. It can be part of like, Hey, how does that feel? Does that feel? Yeah. So those are great things to, to keep in mind.
1: Yeah. And I think of, you know, I think of, of colleagues and who are, are more focused around BDSM and within that world. And some, some scenes that I've had the privilege of witnessing where the check-ins often are like scale of one to 10 mm-hmm. with your pain, where are you? Mm-hmm. And it's honestly, it's super freaking hot mm. because that ch- also establishes care, right? Mm-hmm. So the person who is, is topping is checking in because they care. Mm. And like that, Oh, chef's kiss that change, like that is beautiful and it is yeah. sexy and it is deep and it is connective and that's also consent. And that's also yeah. dirty talk. And so yeah. the focus that I have through Passion by Kate is working with adults. Right. This conversation can be more nuanced. I would never teach mm-hmm. youth this is why I don't teach youth around mm-hmm. consent this way because their prefrontal mm-hmm. cortexes are not at the point to, to have that but I still think we can expand the conversation even with youth Yeah. around consent to be not just, right? And even thinking all the way back to like the little boy pulling on the girl's pigtails and her saying no and that not being respected. Mm-hmm. And then it's boys are just boys. No. Sure. Let's right. take it all the no. way back to hugging grandma. Let's take, you know, people poo-poo that. And I'm like that's, yeah. but those messages permeate. They don't just go away when you walk through yeah. the bedroom doors. Yeah.
0: That's a great point. And, you know, my wife and I have a seven-year-old daughter and we're already seeing very small, like you said, instances of other people in her life telling her things or responding to her or she responding to other people. And we're already seeing this show up in very small ways. And, you know, I'm also thinking about some of the headlines that we've seen recently about Shia LaBeouf or Army Hammer or, you know, any, Ron Jeremy, any number of people also Around how my wife, my um, female friends, some of my male friends, they all have some story in their past about how there was some sort of like either spoken or unspoken threat that was being made, you know, to you need to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, from your point of view as a sex educator, what are the things that we can begin to do to teach children about consent, about um, some of these like bigger notions that hopefully won't be happening in the world in the same way that they are today. But mm. there will be some, hopefully it's just a vapor trail, but, you know, that they might still exist.
1: So that to me actually brings up or brings to mind the work of Resma Menachem on somatic abolitionism. And he, mm. within that, is really talking about a culture shift and bringing it back to the body which we've, we've touched on a few times, right? Yeah. So how does it feel mm-hmm. when someone gets rejected?
2: What mm. does that feel
1: like in their body? What stories does it kick up? What conditioning does it kick up? That's theirs, mm. but is mm-hmm. also historical, mm. right? And so in the book, um, which is focused on on race, he spends some time talking about the ways in which white europeans of old were abusing white europeans of old Mm. but that never got processed and so then we just changed the system right Mm. i say we because i'm italian right so like right and so it's not just my whiteness that gets kicked up right or my white fragility that gets kicked up it's this whole line of trauma that never went received and given right mm-hmm. that is just kind of existing there and right. so when it comes to consent i really think we need a similar approach mm. around culture change mm. and honestly we need again not to make this super binary but we need men to start stepping up to be part of that mm-hmm. because just like there's you know we we just see that there's so many ways in which women aren't believed, Mm -hmm. right? And so, and that that is supported. Yeah. And so part of that answer is needing this culture shift. And part of that answer is needing to get more in touch with how the body perceives that rejection. Because if that is perceived as a threat, what the brain body does is like, Mm -hmm. Oh God, we're going to die. We're going to die. We need to click into stress response. And in a world where men are supported only in anger right? That's the only emotion right. man, that's really allowed, you're allowed to feel on a societal level.
2: Right,
1: What does that stress response look like? It looks like aggression. And this right. isn't to give anyone a pass, right. just so we're clear. Right. But I, what I love about this work is it brings that new dimension to it. Yeah. Right. And it brings that like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're basically like turn into a feral cat mm. lashing out. Mm-hmm. And that's, really awful and it doesn't excuse your behavior, but it means how can we start to work with that and interrupt that? Yeah. So that's what, that's what comes to mind is that culture shift and that kind of bringing back to, to the body and also like having, having men as, as not just allies, but accomplices. And I know I saw a post recently, um, from Jamila from good place
0: Mm -hmm. around
1: like hashtag not all men, but like not all men also don't speak up, right? And so like you you can't, like we hear you and also where were you when, you know, locker room talk and those types of things. And that gets to, again, the bigger conversation around around rape culture, around consent culture, around masculinity, around gender norms. There's just layers upon layers there. And one of the ways to approach it is through the somatic work.
0: Great. That's a, and we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. So Kate, we've sprinted through these three topics in a way, but I also want to make sure that is there something that you feel like we're leaving out? Is there something you want to circle back on and put a finer point on or something else altogether that we just haven't uh, landed on yet?
1: I don't think so. No? We did... We did a really good job. I'm proud of us. Go team (laughs) here. I'm like real proud of us. We, yeah, I think the only thing that I feel that's not said would be more of like a, you know, top three type of, you know, if there are three things I wish people I could leave people with, it's shame, communication, and pleasure is healing, right?
2: Mm, So work on mm. the
1: shame, lean into communication, and pleasure is really powerful as a healing force.
0: Yeah. I think that's a fantastic sum up. Let me ask one more question. Mm. I think a lot of people, when they hear that you do a certain thing, they have certain assumptions. Yes. What are some assumptions that people have about the work that you do?
1: <laughs> I love this question. Um, <laughs> oh, there's so many. How much time do we have <laughs> um, Number one. They think I'm their personal therapist. So Mm. I, and many of my colleagues will also talk about this where like, there will be times where we won't, I won't actually say what I do in specifics
0: because Mm.
1: what often happens is that phenomenon of people being like, Oh my God, I can talk to you because I can't talk about this because of sexual shame. And like, I just want to have, what's your alias though? What's what's the
0: alias that you give? (laughs)
1: Yeah. So I usually will just say, you know, I do health education consulting and leave it really simple. Okay. And if they ask more detailed questions, I might say, like, reproductive health instead. But sometimes I just leave it at that.
2: Uh.
0: Um,
1: Yeah, It kind of depends. And I also have a series if I'm like talking to strangers, there have been a few Airbnb instances where they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, health education. Like, oh, do you specialize in anything in particular? And I'm like, sexual and reproductive health. There's like a 10 year old here. And I'm like, I don't know if these parents might like freak out but yeah so number one is the assumption that like because we talk about this we want to talk about it all the time and that we want to hear your personal story and again i have so much empathy for people because there aren't enough places thank god there are more and more right like passion by kate is not the only platform out there that's encouraging these conversations i have the most amazing freaking colleagues and brands that are in this space Um, So thankfully, more and more. But I can't be your therapist. I can't answer your questions through an Instagram DM. It is so unethical. And even as someone who's an educator, not a therapist, it's so unethical without doing a full intake. Number three, they assume that all sex educators are super kinky and we're having sex all the time. And we never had any problems (laughs) with sex at all. And it's just super easy for us. And we don't have any of that bullshit conditioning that we just spent the last, you know, 59 minutes talking about. Um, And that's just simply not true. Not true. I I mentioned it earlier, Right. right? Like I grew up in the same soup in the same sex, negative ableist, sexist, racist, fat phobic soup as everyone else. Yeah. For me, it was, you know, being lucky enough to have a parent who was open about these topics I was in Catholic school from kindergarten through college. Like I got all the messages, um, right. (laughs) right. And now living in a disabled body. Right. So there's just, there are struggles here and there's, can be a lot of shame that comes along with not meeting that expectation sometimes. And so then again, right. That ties back into like, am I working through, Oh my gosh, will people think I'm a scam because I'm not doing X, Y, and Z because it doesn't interest me mm. and that's okay. Right. Because there's no normal, there's just more or less.
2: Yeah. Common. Um, yeah.
1: So yeah, I think those are the big ones. I think we can probably leave it there. Right. Those are, those are the big ones is it's almost, that's there's right. almost like a, a putting of us on a pedestal and I'm like, no, we're just yeah. normal people who sometimes get bloated after dinner and genuinely are like, I know we made that plan, but like, <laughs> honestly, I feel so just like, bleh, That I just want to watch a movie and go to sleep. Sure. Just a little easier to have those conversations because we have more practice.
0: (laughs) That's right. So let's get into the closing questions. I love it. Kate, what's one of the most important lessons that you've learned in your life so far? And this can pertain to your life in general, or it can pertain to work. Just something, you know, sometimes the way that I ask this is what's something you wish you learned earlier?
1: Mm. Fuck the shoulds. We're going to circle right back to it. Let's do it. Right? We teach what we most need to know slash be reminded of.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Fuck the shoulds around business, around sex, around bodies,
2: Mm. around
1: relationships. Mm. Just fuck the shoulds. It's really catchy. It's easy to say. It's nice and like, you know, that's, Yeah. yeah, that's the number one thing. And I think of the times in my life when the shoulds held me back, um, yeah. in ways that I wasn't even aware of, right. Or they show yeah. up as comparison. They show up as imposter syndrome. They show up as hiding.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: They show up as codependency. They show up as, you know, attention seat there. They show up in so many ways yeah. and yeah, fuck the shoulds.
0: Love it. A friend of mine, just as a sidebar, he was talking about some of the initial research that was done around imposter syndrome. Apparently, one of the first phrasings of imposter syndrome is imposter phenomenon, Mm. which I like the way that sounds a lot better because syndrome sounds so dire, right? Like it's this thing that, you know, and it's it's a feeling. It's something that comes and we all have it in some way. And Some people can... Like you said, we can flit it away some people mm-hmm. more easily than others, but
1: yeah, there's a really good, uh, Harvard business review article on imposter syndrome. I think last week that came out and that also looked at the ways in which like, kind of, is it imposter syndrome or is it oppression? It oh. was really well done. And it, it gets to that point you just made around like being able to flit it away. And sometimes yeah. you can't flit it away because it's not actually coming from you.
0: I see. Ooh, we'll link to that. Really Ooh, good article. I like yeah. It.
1: <laughs> really good. It has nothing to do yeah. with sex, but everything has to do with sex, right? Sex is connected to and impacted by and impacts everything else. So if you're feeling like an imposter or you're dealing with a bunch of shit at work, that's going to show up right. as feeling less than in the bedroom as well.
0: Like you said, when you walk through that bedroom door, you're going to carry all that stuff with you. Mm-hmm. So. So Kate, what are two things that you're excited about right now? And the way I'm asking this question, it means, you know, something maybe that you're reading that you can't put down, or maybe something that you're watching or listening to.
1: Oh, that's a hard one, because I'm doing rewatches. Mm. <laughs> I'm firmly in rewatch conversion. Rewatches attitude.
0: are okay. Yeah. Can I yeah. be
1: really excited about the COVID vaccine? Like I'm gonna just name so that as really one. That, and I'm right? science yeah. so I can get away with it. Um as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I got and my second dose. you just got your second today. dose. That you yes, we, so I am super stoked. Done. Yeah, science, COVID vaccines. I'm obsessed. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I'm just like waiting for the side of <laughs> any side effects to hit. Um, and just <laughs> yeah, science in general. I would say the other thing, and this is less entertainment focused, but I sure. spent the last much of the last year doing trainings around nervous system support. And in a lot of ways, it felt like a return home to my original area of study.
0: Neuroscience. And it was at a
1: whole new elevated level with a really strong intersectional analysis. And so really obsessed with making my clients and also uh the folks in the caves that i lead and i know you had jake on here from cave day yeah do what yeah. i lovingly call weird body shit oh. so i'm really obsessed <laughs> people do these like weird body things and then i i do them in my life and they're just different approaches to working with stress to working with shame to working with big emotions to working with like burnout and shutdown yeah. That in many ways embody that ethos of fucking the shoulds because they go they go against a lot of the mainstream narratives around burnout and stress response and things like that and have really felt like a homecoming for me and my clients. And so it's been really magical mm. for my own life and also in working with others to like see how powerfully they work particularly in the cave setting where there's like a hundred people and I'm like, okay, now we're going to pretend the floor is lava for two minutes, but like, here's some rules around it and bringing that aspect of play and pleasure. And it's, oh, it's so fun. I could talk about it forever. That's what you wanted me to say, right?
0: (laughs) That's exactly what the question is geared towards. So is there anything that we can link to for people who want more information?
1: I have a piece that I recently did. That's, the clickbaity title is like six movements for better sex or exercises for better sex, okay. but it's actually secretly nervous sure. system support because <laughs> you know, I'm like, I know y'all going to click and then I'm going to be All like, right. and here's, here's the good stuff. And then I can also That's link, right. I actually think I link to my teacher in that. Yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. So Kate, where can people find out more about you? You know, we've talked about a few things we've talked about your website and your business, but mm-hmm. Where are other places that people can find out about you and/or your work? Uh,
1: the main place is passionbykate.com okay. and Kate is K A I T, yep. which is also uh, social media handles. I would say Instagram is the most active. Okay, those are the two main places. Or you could join me in a cave to do weird body shit with Kate. With cave cave Day.
2: Day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: awesome but yeah passion by and, and the passion by kate instagram are the main are the main places and it's just remembering perks of spelling kate k-a-i-t yeah. means that everything is that <laughs> super easy that's right
0: well kate thank you so much for this conversation you are a delight to talk to and i've learned so much so i appreciate you making the time and space
1: yeah thank you so so much for having me and it was a pleasure
0: And thank you for listening to How This Works. Please subscribe or follow and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. This is the first season of our show. and It would mean so much if you could tell just one other person about it and why they should listen. You can find How This Works online at howthisworks.show. It's three words, no dashes. Again, that's howthisworks.show. We're also active on social media. I hope that you learned something from my conversation with Kate. I did for sure. And we'll talk again soon. it's just a vapor trail but you know that they might still exist
1: yeah what comes to mind as we're talking is actually Res- resma Menikin's work on somatic abolitionism okay you know we're gonna that yeah, is a really loud siren yep. so yeah <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. joys of of recording in new york I re- city i remember
0: new york city yeah
1: yeah <laughs> we didn't change it for the world but okay i think it's going to restart
0: that
1: is it far enough out from your okay yeah
0: i can't really hear it so i think we're good